In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zakhut of speaking to Rav Eli Buchla. Rav Eli, a native of Dix Hills, New York, is the OUJLIC rabbi at Columbia Barnard. He studied at Yeshiva Orator, Brandeis, holds an MA from YU's Bernard Ravel Graduate School, and received smicha from YU. He previously served as the assistant rabbi of the Jewish Center on the Upper West Side from 2019 to 2022, and previously served as their rabbinic intern for two years. Thank you so much, Rob Eli, for joining us today. It's a real zakat to have you with us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be joining you uh, on your podcast. Um, I must say, looking at the illustrious uh, speakers that you've had on uh, before, um, I really feel like uh, the little kid on the block, but I really do appreciate uh, the invitation. And I'm so excited to learn Torah with you. Of course, really excited to learn with you. Um, so it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take with you to a desert island, what they mean to you, why they're so important to you. Really looking forward to finding out your three pieces today. So if we jump right in, are you ready to share your first piece of Torah? I am ready to go. <laughs> um, so, you know, you gave me this nice uh, homework project to figure out which three pieces I would take with me. It was very challenging to figure out what I would take. Um, but this is what I decided to narrow it down to. I wanted to start, I'll start off with uh, one particular piece, um, which if I'm permitted to do so, I'm going to take one particular Parsha uh, that I would take with me uh, from the Chumash, um, and that is Parsha Shlach Lecha. All right, Parsha Shlach Lecha brings us to Sefer Bamidbar, um, and the general gist of the Parsha um, is essentially the, the story of the spies, right? The 12 Miraglim um, is how the, the Parsha opens. Um, and the story itself grabs me. It's a kind of a really interesting story, riveting in terms of God commanding Moshe to do it. But later on, Sefer Devarim tells us something different. Um, but what amazes me about the story itself, about Parsha Shlach Lecha, um, is that I love the unit, the literary unit that it creates. Because on the one hand, it opens with the story of the Chedim Raglim. And then the, as the Parsha continues, it seems to kind of go into various directions. Uh, for example, after the story itself, um, we have a bunch of laws related to the land of Israel, including some about korbanot, uh, sacrifices, some about truma, um, giving uh, giving of your food uh, to the kohanim. Um, and then it talks about uh, a chatas, a sin offering that is given by the nation if the whole nation sins, um, and then an individual sin. And then it ends essentially um, with two last pieces. One is the story of the mikosheshet etzim, the person who kind of chopped wood, gathered wood outside of the machan of the camp. And it ends with tzitzis, right? the mitzvah of tzitzis. So on the one hand, it seems like totally disparate, um, but on the other hand, it really creates this amazing, this amazing unit. Um, if you'll permit me just to kind of delve into the story a little bit and feel free, free to, uh, to jump in um, if you have any questions, but, but it, it always has grabbed me um, because what I love so much about learning Chumash is that, you know, on the one hand, you have a, a very simple pshat, um, but what's amazing is that the way that the Torah um, often has these units, these motifs uh, that are created within a particular uh, section. And even though the Parshios themselves were later kind of broken up by Chazal to be like this week's Parsha, next week's Parsha, um, it really does form an amazing unit. Um, it's bookended with two narratives, right? The Cheda Meraglim and the Mekoshesh Etzim. Um, and then the law that takes place in the middle, um, in many ways is reflecting upon the story of the 12 spies itself, um, right? The spies reject the land of Israel. Um, and so after we're told by Hashem that we can't enter the land, um, we're essentially told, you know, you may not be able to enter the land, but the next generation will, right? It never ends with you, right? You may have made a mistake, 
but there's always going to be another generation. And that next generation needs to know the laws. Um, and something that I think really uh, speaks to me personally is this notion um, that we're just one generation. Right. I'm somebody who personally is, is really into genealogy. So the opportunity to, to see yourself as, as really just one, one moment in the chain of Jewish history, um, I think emerges from, from the story of the Chidim Raglim. Um, and then obviously it ends with the story of the Mikoshetzim, the person who, who gathers the wood um, outside. And what's amazing is if, if you look really carefully at the story, right, it, it could have called him the, uh, the, uh, the Osef, the, the gatherer of, of Eitzim, or could have said something else, but the language of Mikoshesh um, is actually really unique because it actually harkens back to the Egyptian uh, story, right? When we're slaves in Egypt, we're told after Moshe comes and, and pleads on our behalf that our, our life is going to get more difficult. Um, and essentially the Torah tells us that, um, that Paro commands us that we now have to gather our own straw. Right, we were given to it. Now, now we have to gather it ourselves. And the same word is used, v'koshashulahem. Right, we have to gather it um, ourselves. Um, and so, I think what's happening at the very end of the parsha um, is that the mekoshesh, it seemed, this individual uh, recognized that they weren't entering the land of Israel. Right, we're, we're done. God punished us. We're not going. And so, what does he do? He says, "I want to go back to Egypt. I want to do what we did back in Egypt. It's better for me to be a slave in Egypt than it is for me to be an ovet Hashem, to be a worshiper of God." Um, in this in this wilderness. So he goes back to do what we did in Mitzrayim um, in many ways. And he rejects Shabbos, which is all about creation and God saves us from Egypt. He rejects it all. Um, but the beautiful part about that narrative, and again, that's tying in obviously to the Chet, Hamer Aglim, the beautiful part of the narrative for me is uh, the comment of Rashi, right? Rashi quoting Rabbi Akiva says that the daughters of this Mikoshesh Etzim are the Benot Slofchad. Right, they're the ones who love the land of Israel so much that they come before Moshe and say, "I want a chelik in it." Right? We want a nachala as well. Um, and so again, this this ties back into I think this 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 firm belief that I have that we're we're one generation within this huge span of Jewish history, um, and in each and every generation, we have an obligation to uphold Torah um, and to to hold on to it firmly. And I feel like Parshat Shlach pulls that whole thing together um, in a beautiful way. Again. It's this ending, the Parsha, this reminder of the mitzvot, um, and also this, this notion that we were diverted um, with our eyes, velotaturu, right? We did that, um, and now Tzitzis is the, is the conclusion. So Parsha Shlachacha for me just represents this amazing uh, Parsha um, where there's so much packed into it, and I feel like there are so many life lessons that one can learn from that one very Parsha. Absolutely. Um, I love that Parsha as well, and it really connects to Yom Kippur, um, when we say Vayoma Hashem Salakti, Hashem tells Moshe he has forgiven. Salakti Kiyanu Amecha, like we are here because we are your people. And I think the episode is saying that Hashem loves us unconditionally, even if we have a moment where things slip up. And that teaches us how to live, really. And I think that's a really, also a really important moment and episode to learn from, from that Parsha, also. Yeah, I'll add actually the very end of the Parsha, just before we get into the story of the Mikoshesh Etzim, when it talks about the sin offering of the individual, um, the sin offering of the nation, right? Right at the end of that par uh, paragraph about the sin offering of the nation, it says, right? We quote that. Um, on Yom Kippur, this notion that at the very end, um, even though we've made a mistake, the Sanhedrin, the base din has, has maybe given us the wrong legal opinion, the wrong halacha, um, at the very end, if we if we come together and we do tshuva, v'nislach, right? If we do that, then God will recognize us and eventually tying back into Yom Kippur, right? We can receive um, kapara. 
Absolutely. So important. Yeah. So are we ready for your second piece of Torah? Of course. So the second, um, the second piece of Torah um, that I would bring with me, I guess I'm kind of cheating here, um, would be the Minchas Chinuch. Um, right, I kind of get two in one, right? Because you have the Sefer Achinach, this kind of anonymous work um, in the 13th century in Spain, um, which was written, presumably a teacher or a father to his son, um, as he writes in his introduction, he wants them to have something good to do on Shabbos afternoon, something to learn. Um, and so he writes the Sefer Achinach describing um, the mitzvos in each parsha. Um, and it goes through all the 613 mitzvot, and it goes and discusses the meaning behind it. And something that I've always found critically important in my own avodat Hashem, in my own in my own service of God, um, is understanding what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Right? Certainly, even if I understood nothing, I'm commanded. I'm mitzvah. I have to do it. Um, but I think certainly for our generation, um, perhaps more so than in previous generations, um, people want to know why. Right? People want to know the big questions and also the individual um, questions on each individual um, each individual mitzvah. Um, so I love just the Sefer Chinuch by itself. Um, because it really gives you kind of like a philosophical background to each and every mitzvah. Um, so that's always appealed to me. But then you get the minchas chinuch on top of it. Um, you get this, this double work um, written in the 19th century. Um, and it's essentially um, kind of uh, quoting from halacha, from gemaras, from the rambam, um, and it's essentially like the who, what, when, where, and why of every single mitzvah. <laughs> in some ways, it gets like almost way too technical, right? In some in some areas, it gets like exceptionally technical. Um, but it's amazing because in some ways, he's gathering everything that could have taken you many, many hours to get, like all those makorot, all those sources together, and he puts it on one page. Um, and it's fascinating. And I find it to be also an amazing tool, um, an amazing way to to talk about mitzvahs with other people, right? Because it, it lays it all out for you. And I think as a teacher, that's something that's always been an amazing work to reference because you could really read like a paragraph of the Minchat Chinuch on a particular mitzvah. And that's an hour conversation, right? You can have a whole conversation just on his approach um, to one particular mitzvah. Um, personally, I, I've always had a great affinity to the mitzvah of Hakel, um, which was just kind of commemorated as Zecher Hakel, just, uh, you know, over Sukkot. Um, and over there, right, he goes through all the all the various approaches um, to Hakel itself. Who can say it? When can it be said? And again, it's a machloket um, for a lot of these pieces. He may have particular opinions one way or the other. Um, but for me, if I were stuck on a desert island, um, I could take the Minchas Chinuch with me because I think it would probably uh, allow me to have, you know, a morning, afternoon and night Seder and still have more have more to learn. <laughs> so that's a, a piece of Torah that I've always uh, safer that I've always loved and I continue to to work through. Are there any specific um, pieces in the Sefer that really stand out to you? Yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned, I do really love, um, I really do love uh, the mitzvah of Hakel in and of itself, just what it what it represents, right? Uh, gather Anashim, Anashim Vataf, everyone has to be gathered. Um, and it's this singular moment um, where the Jewish people come together um, to experience Torah. And it's more than just learning Torah, it's experiencing Torah. Um, so that's something that I've always uh, appreciated uh, on a very deep level, because um, I think that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying not only to learn Torah on an intellectual level, but we're trying to experience it 
on a very deep level. And in the Minchas himself, like he's trying to figure out, uh, for example, he's trying to figure out who, who reads it. Right, so we know the melech, the king is supposed to read it. But what if there's no melech? Is it the gadol hador who's supposed to read it? And you know, he goes through different uh, sources. When is it supposed to be read? Right, so everyone knows it says, you know, it says uh, we do it on Sukkot. We do it. Uh, the Mishnah tells us Motzei uh, Yom Tov, but is that that night or is it during the day? Um, and essentially, what he what he discusses a little bit, and this is discussed later on by by a number of 20th century um, rabbanim. Um, I think what it comes down to is like, when can you get the most number of people together? Right. Is it like nighttime? Is it like everyone's ready to go at 7.30 PM after Yantif? Or like, no, if we did it at 10 AM, we get more people. And I, it really, again, kind of how, how you can read one and it kind of opens up the world of Torah. Um, right. What's the type of Torah? What's the type of, uh, um, environment that we want to create? Do we want to create a, a singular insular society or do we want to open up Torah um, for the most access, for the most amount of people. Um, that I think is like a, a specific uh, debate that still rages uh, today in terms of accessibility to Torah. And I think there's so many amazing resources online now that makes Torah so accessible to so many people. Um, the question is, how do we translate that perhaps on the ground um, to our very own communities as well? Absolutely. And it connects to the Gemara. I think in Chagiga Gemara, Ahmed Aleph, um, how the children are brought to, and what what's the, why are the children brought? And I think the meaning of that is like, everyone should be there. Everyone should be part of a Tama Torah learning experience. And like, it says in Shema, like you should teach your Torah to your children. And like everyone, all the generations should be part of that and Torah should be spread. Um, and yeah. What's amazing actually about that Gemara, which is again, the beginning of Chagiga is where we talk about um, Mitzvah Ali Regal and then the Gemara itself and Tosfo talk about um, Hakel and whether or not you really can compare the two or not. But essentially what's also really fascinating, um, and this I love from a linguistic perspective um, and from like a literary perspective, I guess is a better way of putting it, um, that in the Gemara's discussion of the mitzvah of Hakel, if you look carefully, um, when is it being discussed in the yeshiva? It tells us that it's being discussed on the day or the days um, that Rabbi Yehoshua um, essentially, and that Hevra were, were leading the yeshiva as opposed to Raman Gamliel. Um, and that ties into all those agadatas about, about what it means to either have a Torah accessible to all or a Torah that's accessible um, only uh, to, the, to, the, to the small a, a number of, of experienced sages. So Dafka, the day that they were having the whole yeshiva open, the rows are piling in, Jews are piling into the yeshiva, that's the day they discussed Hakel. Right. And it doesn't say that explicitly in the Gemara. It just says, oh, this is the day. It almost seems like happenstance that they are discussing Hakel that very day. But no, Dafka, because um, it was a time um, where the yeshiva was open for everyone, that's exactly the time we're going to discuss Hakel because this is the vision of Torah that we want for the Jewish people. Absolutely. And I think Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein, he, um, he says that it's Hakel is present in our daily lives because ultimately like we have that midrash but also as you said like there's so much Torah that we can gain online um and there's so many ways of making it accessible um and that's really evident through hakel so it's a great mitzvah and i also connect to it and what's interesting is I, i'm a person who's never I, i've never done the mitzvah certainly not on a doraita level not even on a like a zeich i've never been um at the kotel um for hakel um and nevertheless it can be a mitzvah that that I, that one that both of us can connect to in such a deep level, which I think also, talk, disc, like, 
I think what underlines that is the power of learning Torah and learning about mitzvot um, in many ways is an experience that can transport us um, beyond like our physical being to this, 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 this spiritual notion of what it means and the vision that it creates for the Jewish people. Absolutely. So important. So are we ready for your third piece of Torah? I am. So my third piece, I, I, I was thinking about it a little bit um, in terms of what I wanted to, to do. And my third piece is kind of funny because I, I, I don't need to bring the third piece with me to the to the desert island because I know it by heart. But um, as a visual learner, somebody who thinks that if you look at something, more and more you look at it, the more and more you'll be able to unearth uh, more gems. I decided that I would bring it with me. And so that's the the Amida itself, the, the Shimon Asrei, the Amida itself. Um, because, you know, on the one hand, obviously it has religious significance as like the focus of our Avoda today, right? That's what we do. That's what we daven. Um, but for me, um, what, 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 what speaks to me about uh, Amida even more than that is that you can take the entire corpus of Jewish literature, Talmud, you can take Mishnah, Chumash, whatever you take, um, and all of it has uh, important pieces that represent what Judaism means for us today. But I think the very one piece, the sole text, that if somebody were to ask me, like, what do Jews believe? Like, what is our, what is our mission statement? I think it's the Amida. And what's fascinating about that is it, 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 it's not... Torah, it, it, it's not like something divine, right? It was composed by the Anshay Knesset HaGadola. It was refined. It was edited. If you look at Sidurim, there's variants here and there, different Nuschaot over the generations. Um, but actually, that's the beauty of it. Because essentially, it's this core text that tells us what we ought to believe as Jews, right? Yes, we have the Yod Gimel Ikari Amuna of the Rambam, right? The 13 principles of faith. Um, but what the Amidah does for us is it frames what I as a Jew am supposed to think about. It's my mission as a Jewish person. And so I think just opening up, for example, with the Avot section, right? I'm nothing without my connection to the historical land of Israel, to the people who made this all relevant for me. So that's the very beginning. So that I think is just, just amazing in and of itself. Also, um, just to add, it's like we have an individual connection with Hashem just as they had their individual connection with Hashem and found Hashem in a certain way, we too, that's like a, that should be a goal in our lives. And I think that's what we learned from that aspect. hundred percent. And then obviously going into the, the second bracha when it, you know, the notion, right, this kind of connects, I guess, to the notion of having which is like, right. The notion that, that on the one hand, like we end our lives on this earth at some point, um, something happens afterward. There's, there's a, there's a life after, right. You could spend hours discussing what that looks like, but then there's this redemption, right. This redemption, this resurrection. Um, again, that that's a fundamental belief, um, that we recite multiple times a day. And then obviously you get into the middle section, what we want, what we desire, what Hashem desires of us, right. Both on an individual and national level, which I think is, is key. Um, because I, you know, I think often, um, Jews find themselves in two camps. Um, and I see this sometimes with students as well, that you have the kind of the individual student who sometimes, you know, they're working on their own Avodat Hashem, which is exceptionally important, um, but they're not always thinking about the Klal, everyone else. Um, and then you have the flip side, you have the Jews who are for everyone, but also need to focus on themselves. Um, whether that plays itself out in politics, Zionism, uh, specific religious identities. Um, and I think what the Amida reminds us is you need a little bit of both, right? It can't, it can't, be, a, it can't be one or the other. And then actually my favorite section, right, the, the final section for me 
um, the Hoda'a section, right, the section where we thank Hashem um, with Modim and Hatov, right, this notion that we we thank God. For me personally, in my own Amida, I actually like to spend a lot more time on that section than I do in the middle section, which is probably not the, the norm, um, right? I think most people spend the most amount of time maybe in the very beginning bracha and then in the middle, um, but, but I've always found um, the notion of being thankful to be the most crucial part of my relationship with God um, because you know, on the one hand, yes, you need to ask God for what you want. And we, we should, we're, we're supposed to. Um, but I think for me in my own life, um, I think it's so important to thank Hashem for what I already have and what I've been granted, even if I don't get what I'm asking for. Right? If I don't get all the things, if I don't get the refuah, if I don't get the parnat, I'll still be here, right? I'm here. Um, it's that so present, I, that present aspect. I love that. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And I think, you know, just thinking about what it means um, to live your life um, with a sense of thankfulness um, is so important, not only in your Avotat Hashem, but also just and I think that often gets lost on people. Um, and like they zoom through the end of the Amida, right? I'm done with that part. Now, like, let me, let me go, let me finish really quickly. Um, but I think that, that that end part is is very important. And I think that's also, you know, thinking about the special times of year, that's when we add, um, the Alanisim for, for Hanukkah and Purim, which I think is this like beautiful uh, addition that we add um, those couple of times a year. And again, that's that's saying to Hashem, like those were moments, I think about Hanukkah and Purim, they're like after God was so nigla in the world, like God isn't as present in our lives in the sense of like, there's no nevuah, we don't get to see what's happening. Um, Yad Hashem is, is somehow covered. Um, and yet there we get to add this amazing thanks to Hashem, because we decide when we get to see the Ad Hashem, right? God doesn't tell us today, like, this was me, right? He doesn't do that. Um, and yet we have an opportunity to thank God for what we have, um, which again, ties into, I think, you know, the, you know, it's certainly in the, in the modern Orthodox religious Zionist camps, the notion of, of thanking Hashem for, for the state of Israel, for the opportunity to have a place where Jews, um, can live out our best identities to have a state. I think that's also like part of my religious identity. I love that. So important. And I love all the connections. It's interesting when you said about finding the individual self and being part of a klal, um, Ralph Soloveitchik, he speaks about this, how as individuals, we need to find ourselves and our strengths, and then we have to bring them to the klal to make us up as a community. Um, and I think that's also really important. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So thank you so much, um, Rob Ellie, for joining us today. It was really, really so nice and such as a chut to learn with you. Thank you. It was uh, a pleasure to learn with you. I learned uh, so much just in our brief conversations. Um, and, I wish, and I wish you uh, much success on your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.